Welcome to Sunday Sermons at Journey. Join us every week as we bring you inspiring messages from our community of believers. We believe in the need to gather together to worship, learn, and grow in our faith as a family, and we're excited to share that experience with you. Whether you're a longtime member of our community or a first-time listener, we hope these messages will encourage and challenge you on your own spiritual journey. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in for some thoughtful reflection and inspiring insights. Let's get started. We've been in a series for the season of Advent called The Best Gift Ever. And we're exploring the traditional Advent season through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, flip it open to Matthew 7, and we're going to be starting in verse 7. That is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. If you're flipping in the Bible, that's the first of the Gospels, Matthew. And then as I say with the students on Wednesday nights, that's big seven and little seven, chapter 7, verse 7. And here is what Jesus says in one of his most famous sermons that he ever gave, gave that the world ever heard. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Aren't these verses at the same time both so simple and so confusing. Like if you take them at face value, they're so simple. This is something that our kids understand and can grasp and they understand. Uh, They know if they ask for goldfish and fruit snacks, they will be given goldfish and fruit snacks. Uh, They seek their mom and dad and siblings in a game of hide and seek. And eventually, if they don't find them, the dad or mom makes themselves known and they find them. And when they have a bad dream, they knock on the parents' door and it is opened. But let's be real, they don't really knock on your door, they just, boom, I had a bad dream. This is something so simple. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. But we're not kids. Many of us in this room are adults and we have lived some life. And these words can also be extremely confusing. What happens when you ask and you're still left empty-handed. When you seek, and instead of finding it, you feel like you still lack something. When you knock on the door, and instead of hearing the lock turn, the hinges creak, and the greeting of a known friend, you are met with silence and loneliness. Now, I don't have a time to preach a whole sermon on prayer and what happens when it seems like God isn't answering your prayers. Here's the simple point that I think Jesus is making to his disciples when he gives this teaching of ask, seek, and knock. As followers of Jesus, we should be expectant. As followers of Jesus, we should be expectant. We should expect that God will operate in a certain way. We should expect that he will listen to us and respond and live and function as he did in the scriptures and as he has done in history. Now, that's easy, but the harder question is how. How are we to live as expectant people? I want to get to the why in a little bit, but first I want to talk about how. And I want to give a few thoughts on each because I think to ask, seek, 
and knock requires certain things of you in order for you to do them well. The first ask, I think this is the easiest one. And I think what it means for you to ask is it requires you uh, to have humility. It requires humility. And many of us in this room know that prayer often starts with a need. We have a diagnosis, so we pray. We get in a car accident, and we pray. We have a holiday with the absence of a loved one, and we pray. We are navigating in the middle of a divorce, and we pray. If you're a student in the room, you are walking into that exam overwhelmed with stress, and so you pray. Often, it's our needs that force us into a position of humility, and it's at that place, often in desperation, and when you're in need, that you ask. And really, it's like no filter. I'm going to ask for these things, and I don't feel bad about it because I need and want these things to happen. Now, many of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's so easy to stop right there. And so consider ask, seek, and knock as like a maturing in your discipleship to Jesus. And so if all of us have needs, all of us get humbled, whether that's our choosing or life circumstances, many of us stop there and just continue to ask. And we ask and ask and ask. But I think that there's another stage of maturity beyond asking. And many of us don't go past it. And it is seeking. And to seek requires action. It requires not just the words of your mouth, but the life and action of you. For, for many of us, we don't do this, and so it's like asking God to give you a new job, but then you don't put together a resume and apply for jobs. It's like asking God to give you children, but then you don't engage in adult activities. It's like asking for your relationship with your kid to be better, but not scheduling time and resources to be with your kids. And so here's my simple challenge. Many of you in this room probably are in that phase where you're, you're really good at asking. And when you pray, it's a lot of the bulk of your prayer time is just asking for God to do things for you. And uh, maybe what I want to invite you into is the next stage is not just to ask, but then to take action and initiative because God doesn't just give you things, but he partners with you to bring them about into the world. And here's, here's the reality. This is really hard because oftentimes that first step of action and obedience, you don't know if he's going to provide the thing that you ask. And yet it's faith that God just will take care of you. And so you're asking, asking, say, okay, I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to do things to partner with him to bring about the thing that I'm asking into the world. And here's the great discovery when we get the courage and strength to move from asking to action and seeking God and partnering with him. We start by seeking gifts, and then we discover the giver. We start by seeking gifts from God, and we realize that God is the gift. He is the prize, and he is the reward. Lastly, and I want to submit that this is the most, one of the most rare things in a follower of Jesus. If you reach this level of maturity, you are probably in the top 5% of all followers of Jesus. Ask, seek, knock. To knock requires perseverance. I believe this is something that all of us should desire and strive for. 
It's those followers of Jesus that have been asking, they've been seeking, and they've lived life to know that there is the ups and downs, there is the mountains and the valleys. And so it's not just praying and sticking with God in, in the good times, but it's even persevering in the difficult times because they know the promises of God and they resolve in their heart, I will not let you go, God. In this valley, in this dark moment, it is so easy to walk away from you, but I'm going to do the harder thing and I'm going to hold even more tightly to you. When I can't see the way forward, I'm still looking at you and I will persevere. So many people lack perseverance. The moment things get hard, you leave your partner. The moment things get difficult at work, you seek a different job. The moment things get hard with their kids, you emotionally back away and don't give them your best. And this is something that the Lord wants you to know. To knock requires perseverance. To knock means that God won't always answer the door, but you will bang there and say, I will not stop until you fulfill your promises. Because they know, these people know that scripture is full of men and women who, is, who have persevered through the hard times. Through years and decades of silence, men and women in scriptures have continued to press forward and to hold on to God. Eugene Peterson says it this way, prayer is not begging God to do something for us that he doesn't know about, or begging God to do something for us that he is reluctant to do, or begging God to do something he doesn't have time for. In prayer, we persistently, faithfully, trustingly come before God, submitting ourselves to his sovereignty, confident that he is acting right now on our behalf. Followers of Jesus, we need to ask, seek, and knock. And this is how we are to be expectant. But the big question is why? Why should we expect that God would do things for us and that we should ask, seek, and knock? What is the reason that motivates us to live this kind of way? Great question. Let's keep reading in verse 9. Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though, are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? So what is the reason for us to be expectant? Because we have a generous Father. We have a generous Father. Jesus in the gospel, over 165 times, referred to God as Father. It is the most frequently named title that Jesus referred to God as Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Father, listen to me when I, all these times in the scriptures. So for Jesus, the basic, most fundamental way that Jesus thought of and understood and had a relationship with God was as Father. And this is extremely important. And to drive the point even further home, Jesus uses a literary metaphor of compare and contrast. He goes, okay, you are fathers and mothers, and you're evil. You know you're not perfect. And don't you know how to give your children good gifts? And it's almost like how much more does our heavenly father, compared to you as an earthly father and mother, know how to give good gifts to his children? 
And then the next verse kind of seems like he takes a right turn, and it's not related, but it is. And this is what he says to close this section. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. How does that have anything to do with ask, seek, and knock, and having a generous father? I'm convinced that the only appropriate response for expectant children being in relationship to a generous father is to receive gifts, but then to turn around and to share those gifts with others. We must and need to share the gift to others. What do people want most in the world? Whether they are a two-year-old on Christmas morning or you're an 85-year-old, what do all of us on this planet want the most? We want love. We want acceptance. We want a place at the table. We want to be treated with kindness, dignity, and respect. And because we as children have received so much from our generous Father, we can't help but to share that gift with others. I remember when I was a kid, it clicked for me. Like, receiving gifts on Christmas is amazing. And then when I got older, I was able to give gift to others. And it's like, whoa, this almost feels even better to give a gift and seeing the joy on someone's face than to receiving a gift. And this is the maturity that followers of Jesus get to, that they receive from the Lord, their Father, and then give those gifts to others. Speaking of gifts, I want to share a story about uh, the best gift I ever received from a family member. Uh, fellas in the room, have you ever done something really dumb to try to impress a lady? Yeah? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, so it was Christmas time. I was in elementary. And uh, this was in the late 90s. So if you're uh, like a teenager in the room, this was pre-Life 360. And so the way that we found out where people were was where are the bikes? Wherever, whatever you are had the bikes and that was where they were. And this was like the time to live. No cell phones. We had freedom. You didn't need your license to have freedom. You needed a bike. And uh, so this neighborhood had so many of uh, kids that were my age. And so we were all best friends. And so we would bike around the neighborhood and we were a little rebellious. So we would get in trouble and our parents couldn't track us. And then we would just be able to come home by dinner. Well, at this point in our life, our favorite activity of the moment was wall ball. Uh, it was wall ball. And we got really good. And so the tennis ball wouldn't suffice anymore. We needed something a little bit better. And this was when lacrosse was getting really big. And so we had lacrosse balls and we said, that is what we're going to play wall ball with. It's going to hurt if you don't catch it, but it's going to bounce even more off the wall. Okay. And so we were playing wall ball. And as you can imagine for the parents in the room, uh, our parents were not thrilled about us being in the wall ball because uh, there was one house right across the street from my parents. It was a two-story house, which was kind of rare in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And they had a nice, wide, two-car garage driveway. And so this brick garage two-story was just begging to be played wall ball with. And so we would play wall ball, and our parents would tell us, stop playing wall ball at their house. And they were like complete strangers. This was not like a house that we knew. We just waited for them to leave, and then we'd play wall ball. Um, <laughs> And so on this particular day, we're playing wall ball. It's Christmas time. We're all out of school. It's the best. We're having the, the blast. And uh, as we're playing, I look down the street and come walking towards us is Danielle. Now, a little context. 
Danielle was my elementary crush, okay? And her and her friend group are walking towards us as we're playing wall ball. And I don't know about you, but this was my moment to impress Danielle that I had the strongest arm, that I was the best at wall ball. And as they get closer, the ball bounces off the wall. I catch it. I rear back. I make eye contact with her. I want to wink, but I can't do that. I'm not coordinated enough. And I rear back and I throw it as hard as I can. And the ball does not bounce back. I look up, but I forgot to mention, above this two-car garage brick house were two massive windows. And I look up, and one of the windows is just absolutely shattered. Like, there's barely any of the windows left. And I am dumbfounded, and I look around immediately. All my friends scatter. My brother is running home, and so I run and catch up to my brother. And as we're running, I go, if you tell mom or dad, I'm going to kill you. And so we make it home. So I get a cup of water, and I look in the living room, and my brother's talking to my dad. And I'm like, ooh, he better not be telling on me. And then as my brother's talking to my dad, my dad just goes, and gives me a look. I'm like, oh, he told him. My dad comes over, and he is mad. How many times have I told you not to play wall ball at that house? And he was just fuming. He goes, go to your room. I don't want to hear a peep from you. You're not having dinner with the family tonight. I just want you to go just get out of here. And so I'm just like, oh, what did I do? And so I go to my bedroom and I sit down and I'm just like, I'm the firstborn and I'm a people pleaser. And so like, I knew I did something I shouldn't have done. And my dad was angry with me, and I was just sitting in the bed, and I was just overwhelmed with shame and guilt. And that night, family was going to come over to have dinner for Christmas, and I'm convinced every family has one, the Funkle, everyone. Raise your hand if you think you're the fun uncle. No one in this room is the fun uncle. Everyone has to have one. Mine was named Uncle Bones. That story of why he's Uncle Bones too long. We got to stay put, all right? And so uh, my Uncle Bones, he was the fun uncle. You never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. You never knew what games we'd play or what he'd say or do. He was always so fun, and I always wanted to be around Uncle Bones. And so when dinner came, my aunt and Uncle Bones came in the door. And from my room, I can hear them, and I'm like, oh, man, I just want to hang out. And I hear my uncle ask, where's Adam? And I can hear some silence, and I imagine my dad filled in my uncle. And so a few minutes later, my door opens. It's my Uncle Bones. And he says, hey, Adam, I heard what happened. And he comes and sits down on the bed next to me. And he kind of just puts his arm around me and didn't say much. And just rubbed my back, and he goes, I can tell you feel really bad, don't you? I said, yes, I'm, I know I should have done it but dad's really mad at me and I don't know how long I'm grounded for. I just, I'm just so sad. He goes, I can tell. He stands up and walks out the bedroom door. About five minutes later, my dad walks in and I am discombobulated because when my dad walks in, he is smiling. And my dad sits next to me and he puts his arm around me And I am just so confused. I'm like, why is he smiling? Why is he happy? 
And he, my dad sits next to me and goes, Adam, your uncle and I talked, and he made a deal with me, okay? He said that, um, that he was going to pay for the window to be fixed. He also said that he was going to fix what is broken. He also said that on your behalf, he's going to go to the neighbor's and explain what happened, and take the blame, and he's going to settle everything for you. But he asked that I no longer be angry at you, and he asked that you would be able to not be grounded, and that you would get to join us for Christmas. Because your uncle said, every little boy gets one broken window. And so that day, because of my uncle, I was able to leave my guilt and shame and loneliness in my bedroom. And I got to enter with my family. I got to have a seat at the table. And my status was no longer grounded, rebeller, troublemaker, one who is angry at, but I was innocent. I was welcomed. I was the son who was no longer distant, but I was brought near. For those of us who follow Jesus, this is the love that we celebrate. My uncle told me so many times he loved me. When was it that when his actions spoke louder than his words? And here's, uh, here's just what I want you to know. I'm here to tell you that if you've broken your life, if it feels like you have shattered and broken and rebelled and done things that you know you shouldn't have done, if you've disobeyed your heavenly father, if you find yourself overwhelmed with guilt and shame, if you find yourself lonely, wishing that someone would comfort you and provide a way forward, I am so pleased to announce the good news that there is someone who has pleaded on your behalf, who has paid the price, who has fixed what is broken, and his name is not Uncle Bones, it is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. And the best part about this gift is it's free. There's nothing you can do. This is something that you just receive. Could you imagine Hypothetically, my dad explains this, and, and my response is, no, I don't deserve it. No, no, I, I have my piggy bank. I'm going to get my few nickels and pennies, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to pay for the damage. I don't need him to help me. I can fix this on my own, and it breaks my heart. So many of us in this room and in this broken world function that way. We hear about the gift. We see others with the gift. And yet, when it comes to us, we feel like we don't deserve it. We reject it and we try to fix it and make it better. It's like putting duct tape. That window, if I would have tried to put duct tape on it, the moment a storm would have come, it would have still exposed the brokenness of that window. This is a free gift for everyone. This is why we celebrate that Jesus Christ was born. Because there's boys and girls who have broken a lot of windows in this world. And they needed someone to fix what was broken. 
to heal a damaged relationship with your father. And so you could be brought at the table in relationship. That's it for this week's Sunday Sermons at Journey. We hope you found the message inspiring and uplifting. And if you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to our podcast to stay updated on our latest episodes and then share it with your friends and family. If you have any thoughts, questions, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at journey at journeycs.org. We'll be back next week with another message, so be sure to tune in. Until then, have a great week, and let's walk together and make a difference.